I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Shout out to our sponsor, Wix.com. Go to Wix and build a website. Then come back and listen to this episode of Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today is Melanie Maras, quite possibly the funniest person in the world. She's a finalist in the Laugh Factory's Funniest Person in the World competition, representing her home country of Indonesia. Her comedy career is um, full of sex. She's got all kind of interesting one-woman shows, plays. She's the subject of a new documentary film and then of course the Laugh Factory competition. She's got a lot of good stuff happening. She's gonna tell us all about that, as well as giving us some important life lessons, career lessons, business advice, if you will. Uh, she's a great example of, of being vulnerable, of finding her own voice, and she's gonna give us some tips on how to test your own boundaries. Good stuff coming up on Rebel Radio after our EDM.com track of the week. Yo, that was our EDM.com track of the week. That's Kyle Watson with a track called Watermelons. 
You can find that on First Edition label. Go to soundcloud.com slash first edition. And now let's hear the interview with Melanie Maras. Nice. All right. You be funny, and we're just going to sit here and listen. No okay. pressure. Done. <laughs> and yeah, don't go. Worry. <laughs> Ready? Uh, no, don't worry. Hey, welcome. Hi. Josh, thanks for coming. Josh is not very funny, so. I'm not funny. I'm the not funny one. Uh, but so our guest today is Melanie Maris. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Wow. <laughs> is it okay. how you say it? It's okay. That's how I say it when fine. people say Cassandra, Cassandra. How about if you like, tell us? How you say your name? Um, I just say Maras. Maras. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you're really supposed to roll the R, but I don't. Oh. I, I like, myself don't even do that. So how could I ask anyone else to? <laughs> well, our guest today is Melanie Maras, creator of uh, the Red Flag play, and lots of funny stuff online, which you can tell us all about. <laughs> uh, the the uh, Mayo Kama Sutra was highly disturbing. Was so oh, were you we disturbed by that? About that a little oh. bit. <laughs> and. Uh, and apparently a funny storyteller. So thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks for having me. Now, how do you guys know each other? Because we found Bala. you. Yeah, we know each other through the magnificent Shelly Bala. Yeah, my one Indian friend. She, is she your one Indian I'm friend? I'm sorry. You need you, to get on uh, top of that. You only have one, so you rotate them? Well, I once said that I have a lot of Indian friends, and then my boyfriend challenged me, and then I said, well, I just know Shelly Bala and Jay Bala. <laughs> <laughs> know that many Indian people so yeah we know each other through a good friend uh, who's her best friend Shelly who's well uh, there's only about a billion Bala? roughly Indian <laughs> people in the oh. world so I was like Bala's <laughs> it's not surprising you would only know one yeah. sorry I don't know or where are they in LA do how many Indian friends do you have a, a lot okay <laughs> I'm gonna go home now <laughs> like at least one yeah so that's basically how we know each other and then I went to her show and I was absolutely Actually, I you was, went to Red Flag. I was so inspired. Yeah, I was so inspired. I left there and I was like, "What am I doing with my life? What? I need to influence and impact people the way you did for me." And it was awesome. It was, it spread that energy, and I was storytelling after sharing your stories. All right, we're not here to interview Cassandra. <laughs> but I'm so, gonna. I wanted to jump into. Uh, well, tell us what Red Flag's about. Yeah. <laughs> I watched some bits online. Yeah. And but give it for. Um, so a- anyone Red, who may not have seen it yet. Anyone who might not have seen it, which yeah. is most people, right. really. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, Red Flag, it's a true story. Um, and it's about um, it's about a, a lot of relationships I've had in my life, but it's mostly about one relationship I had that sort of derailed my life. And it's about all those red flags that come up in a relationship that you kind of clock them and you're like, oh. But then you just keep going. Sure. Um, so until the, to the point where it's just like, you know, you're, you're like, oh, this is rock bottom. Um, kind of like we're doing with this interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just ignoring all the red flags. Keep going. Yeah. Wait, am I the red flag? Um, so yeah, so it's, it's about that. And I mean, but ultimately if, if I did my job and I wrote it properly, the, the real, the real question is like, who the real red flag is me you know it's like that's like the common denominator in like all of like these crazy relationships and all these crazy scenarios sure so so and is that the is that like the lesson that we we want the audience to take is that like i mean there's there's look in the mirror first there's like a lot of lessons it's like don't don't date guys with long hair don't like if your boyfriend buns check yeah let me write that down (laughs) Man buns? I mean, I quite, I quite like a man thing? bun. But he's got long hair. 
if he has makeup. Well, I mean, he had, like, hair down to his, his bottom. We're talking about, like, a hair. Like, we're talking about, like, oh, we're talking about, like, hippie hair. Like, we're talking about, like, hair down to his ass. Like, don't oh, wow. don't date a guy with hair down to his ass. That's a red flag. That's a red flag, number one. <laughs> yeah. Number two, if he gives you chlamydia, don't keep dating him. <laughs> Run away. Well, maybe he's not going to give it to you again. <laughs> What else? Um, yeah, that's I a like good those one. Tips. Those are you good. Like, do you like those tips? <laughs> I don't know. Those <laughs> seem a little. They seem a little obvious. So, where did I mean? I thought the whole show was pretty ballsy. You know, you really went up there and exposed yourself and told these stories. And where did you get the balls to do that? Um, you know, I actually it didn't really hit me the sort of the vulnerability of the whole thing of like getting on stage and you know talking about your most personal most private moments until um i had an ex-boyfriend come to the show not the guy not the guy he was it was a guy who was in the show uh-huh. but it wasn't like the main mm. guy right and he didn't tell me that he was coming and he sat in the back and i didn't see him and like afterwards he texted me and told me he had come and i l- literally had a panic attack like i gave myself explosive diarrhea i had, <laughs> it was just like <laughs> and that's when i was like oh my god i was like i can't believe like i get on stage and i say all these things in yeah. like front of all the all these people like what's wrong with me <laughs> so that was the only moment where i really it really hit me outside of that it felt very natural so did it but Hearing that and that happening to you, did that impact the rest of your performances? Yeah, they were probably, like, just went really downhill after that. Like, I'm sorry for anyone who came after that show. <laughs> for that night? For, for, well, for well, every night. Running, it was a running, it was Got running, it. you know, like a couple weekends, right? Yeah. Uh, That's funny. And so, but, so what drove you to, how did, how did it come together? Like, what, what drove you to create it? Um, well, yeah, I ha- uh, this relationship I had that kind of really derailed my life, I just to sort of heal myself, mm-hmm. I started to write the show, but I started to write the show really casually, um, without any kind of intention. And, um, and then I took this solo show class with Lauren Weedman, who's an incredible storyteller. And so then I like wrote it a little more seriously and then like a little more seriously. And then I stopped writing it all together. And I have a theater company in New York called Inviolet and they have a retreat every year. And last summer they have... They had their playwriting retreat, and my friend Bixby Elliott was like, you have to come, and you have to bring your solo show. And he basically nagged me every day to the point where I was like, I just bought a plane ticket to shut him up. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, I'm only buying a plane ticket to come to this so that you will stop bothering me about it. And I was like, and I'm only coming for 24 hours. Um, what do you think he saw? <laughs> I don't know. You know how you have your friends that are really your champions, and they just believe in you, and... He's, no. he's he's one of those for me. I don't you have don't? Any of those. No. You have Cassandra? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. My one yeah. Indian friend. And <laughs> well, I'm not Indian, She's but not Indian. fine. Um but yeah, so then I went to the retreat and I did I had maybe thirty minutes of the show at that point. Um and I I read it really nervously off my iPad, you know shaking and the response that the audience gave me and the audience was really a a small group of people who I know very well they're in my theater company Mm -hmm. um but all the love and the enthusiasm and like I could feel them go on the journey with me and they really gave me all the motivation I needed to just start to move it forward and to start working towards a production and finish it and get it up on its feet and show it to the world yeah what is your, I mean, I don't know, this question's kind of funny, but 
what's your mission as a storyteller? My mission yeah. as a storyteller, um, my mission as a storyteller is to is to touch people um, and to illuminate humanity, and that's it, really. You do that well. Oh, thank you. Oh, what's it like dating while you're doing that show? <laughs> you know what's interesting is that um, I thought that I thought that men would see the show and just be like. To, like t- terrified like just just you know yeah just like they'd just be so afraid yeah. but i had so much interest from like people who came to the show you were so funny because you're on stage and she's so real and raw i think people like dig that you know when you're so like that's they see you. the dollar signs <laughs> come and get me some of that some of that red flag money so, oh yeah <laughs> So any um so is that like the success of the show is maybe a potential <laughs> husband? Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know that I would call that the the success of the show, um, but it, it wasn't. I thought it would be I thought it would be like a real deal breaker for people, and it it, it really wasn't. So it had no effect. <laughs> so you're saying? Um, it, well, it had no negative effect. Right. Okay. No yeah. negative effect. That's good. All yeah. right. Yeah. So, like, a guy came up to you out of, from the audience afterwards? It's uh, like, hey, I really liked your show. <laughs> Here's my like number. Anything? Yeah. Let's do this. Does that happen? I want to be number seven do on you the have, next chapter. Do you have somebody picking guys out of the audience to right. bring backstage? No, but that's that's a fabulous idea for the next run. Josh, that can be you. That could be your job. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Sure. No, no. I don't. I, that's not. I'm not the guy <laughs> for that. He's not the no? guy for that. No. no. You need the guy from the plane to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any surprising feedback that, like, kind of you weren't expecting? Um, well, I think I was really expecting people to be so offended and, like, repulsed. And I didn't receive that. So that was the most <laughs> surprising thing to me. Yeah. Really. Yeah. What do you think you would have done had that happened? Uh, just been apologetic. <laughs> sorry. Sorry I'm alive. I'm right. sorry I was born. So... A lot of your stuff is sort of like that. It's like very in your face. It's very raw in some ways, like, you know, Kama Sutra male. Um, what is, what's the inspiration? Is it mostly ex relationships? What, um, what happened? <laughs> what went wrong? <laughs> Um, you know, I think that when I was growing up, my parents were, were, I mean, super overprotective, like, like just, you know, not like beyond like tiger mom, like just an, another level or like helicopter mom or whatever. So you moved here called. from Indonesia, right? I moved, yeah, I'm, I grew up in Indonesia okay. my, and my dad's from Indonesia, my mom's from Oklahoma and they're both from... Oh, wow like very small town. So like my dad's from a really small town in Indonesia. My mom's from a really small town in Oklahoma. So they both are hyper conservative and they're older as well. So they're from a different world, literally. How are small town Indonesia and small town Oklahoma alike? Um, I think people are simple minded and uh, in both places. We have a lot of listeners in <laughs> Indonesia, by the way. So <laughs> they'll be interested to hear this. Great. Yeah. Um, I think that... I think that it's like if you if you grow up in a in a small town with limited beliefs, it's hard to look beyond that, and yeah. it's it's hard to grow and think of any other way of life because you've never seen anything else. Um, so those were my parents, and I think that just don't 
don't lock your kids up because they will end up like me. But you're awesome. (laughs) So it's a cautionary tale. (laughs) It's a cautionary tale. So wait, and then, so you, you came, uh, from, you know, another part of the world. How did, how did this, how'd you get into storytelling and comedy and Um, writing and all that? You know, I, I didn't get into storytelling and comedy until, um, about five years ago, I mm. took a storytelling class when I was living in New York with Kevin Allison, who he used to be on The State, and he has an amazing podcast called Risk and an amazing storytelling show called Risk. Um, and he really had the first storytelling podcast of note. Um, and, well, besides The Moth, of course, after The Moth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I took the storytelling class with Kevin, and it was the first time I realized I was like, oh, like... I'm a comedian, you know, <laughs> like I didn't yeah. know before it was so, it was so obvious, but really? I just, I didn't, I didn't realize it. And then, you know, doing, writing stories and performing them, it was, it was so natural to me. It was the most organic type of writing I had ever done. Um, and I, and I like just, I picked it up so quickly and like the audience response was always like so tremendous from the very first time I told a story, I was like, Oh you know, I think I should keep doing this. Yeah, M- mostly about your family. No, I have never actually written about my family. It's it's m- almost always about, you know, guys. Guys. <laughs> Sometimes girls. Okay. You know, but mostly guys. Yeah. It's funny that, um, you know, I think the like in the storytelling environments, the moth, and and uh, you know, I've heard some moth speakers talk about the experience and you know how different it is from say like stand-up comedy yeah where you know i think in a comedy club the the audience is kind of against you like until you win them over yeah, um, I th- yeah i think they're there they can be really hostile the yeah audience in a, in <laughs> yeah a, in stand-up. whereas at places like the moth i think it's much more it tends to be much more supportive mm. yes yeah yeah so yeah. have you mm-hmm. bombed have i bombed um yeah yeah i mean even like even like doing my solo show there would be nights where it's like the audience was just not responsive and it's like they so they inform the show so Mm -hmm. much like their responses and it it really sets the tone for everything so if you're like not getting anything and everyone experiences in their own way like not everyone is a laugher or whatever that doesn't mean that they're not with you or they're not enjoying it and like some audiences are like really noisy and like knocking over beer bottles Mm and um arguing with the waitress (laughs) So it's 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 I'm not at a point where that doesn't affect me. Sure. Um, so how do you recover when you have, you know, let's say you don't have a great show. Like, how do you recover from that? In the moment or afterwards? After. <laughs> when you go in your room. Oh, I mean, you just, you know, Drink. W- wish you were dead, <laughs> you know, wonder why you're alive. Like, don't ever want to do it again. You're like, What's wrong with me? Why did, mm. I, why did I choose this? And then you just do it again. Right. So, so but how do you get through it on stage, right? So you, you, you had a show last night and the audience was really into it and now tonight, you know, it's the same material and you're just not getting it. And like so what do you do in that moment? Um I try to be present in every moment so that every moment is alive and real for me. I'm with varying degrees of success. Sure. Uh and I just try not to get too in my head because like in my head it's like oh my god god just leave just walk just <laughs> yeah, go home they hate you yeah 
just find a, you know, a manhole to just throw yourself into. Um, so I try to like just quiet those voices and just be as like, you know, positive. Yeah, as honest right. and open and vulnerable as I can be in the moment and like hope that I can. Is it hard to date when you're like a comedian and going through? Because it feels like it is a lot of ups and downs. A lot of people say it, you know. Is I think, it hard? Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who's a creative has that. And it's mm. it's the, it's like every time you finish a project, you know, you're like, hmm, like what, like what am I going to do next? You know, mm-hmm. what's, right. you know, it, it's just there's there's not that constant, steady anything. Um, and I, I realized and I don't. I don't know that this is so much a problem for like male male comedians. Like male comedians really crush a lot of ass. Yeah. Um, but if you're a woman and you you get on stage and you you talk about your personal life in an irreverent manner, like men are really afraid of that. Like, and men are all sorry. Um, <laughs> men Let's are see all, if you're right. Men are all sort of so um, self-important that they always assume uh, that y- that you're gonna talk about them oh uh, you know? i don't know i've never dated a comic so I, <laughs> I have no idea if i would assume that yeah interesting what are you looking at that card oh yeah so tell us about the the male kama sutra what would you like to know about it um what was the why what, what <laughs> why? drove you to to make that you know that's something i've wanted to do for a long time super passionate about it um so what give us the, <laughs> give us give us the pitch uh well okay so the male kama sutra is a tongue-in-cheek comedic video and it's about all those sexual quote-unquote positions that you hear about like the cleveland steamroller or the houdini or the donkey punch is mm-hmm. a is a popular one sure. <laughs> I, I may need to read that book of course <laughs> but so there are all these sexual scenarios where you those can... are actually not in the kama sutra <laughs> okay yeah, that's, a, that's a different yeah that's okay. a different text yeah. mm. um but so there are all these sexual positions wherein you either you know beat a woman completely defile her or murder her you mm. know and like people think they're hysterical and they're so funny and there's no reverse you know there's no female one where it's like the one where you like you know uh sit on a guy's face and then you pour like liquid liquid drano down his mouth you know like and then call it the plumber there's that nobody 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 talks about No, because guys make those stupid things up exactly right um so i just for me i thought it would be very entertaining to you know do a few of these some of my favorites (laughs) the jelly donut that's pretty top notch, um, and call it the male Kama Sutra. Okay. I mean, for, I mean, it's pretty fratty humor. I yeah. think, I don't know. I liked it. What'd you use for the jizz? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so my friend Bixby Elliott <laughs> taught me how to make fake jizz. I guess he may or may not have spent some time on a porn set as a PA. Um, But so what you want to do is you want to get a white lotion. I use Lubriderm. And you want to add some water to it in a in a shaker. See the shaking mm-hmm. motion I'm doing with my hand? You know, can, we you... Have, can we grab the shake weight? <laughs> we have that. It's around here. Do you have a shake weight? Oh yeah, we, it's a prop. Just carry down. Um, warm up. And you would you uh, the amount of water you would add would just be 
that would relate to the the consistency you want, like how okay. thick or how thin you want it. And then right. this is key: you add a little bit of uh, cooking oil for, to give it that viscosity. Mm. You know, that sort of shiny. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. I get what shiny texture. Means. <laughs> yeah. um, I used grapeseed oil, but you could use whatever oil you have in your I'll kitchen. Tie in. Yeah, I mean, you spend light. a lot of money I, on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's a big budget it's great production. For, great for cooking eggs, also. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you shake that all together, uh, and voila, boom, semen. So they used fake jizz <laughs> on porn sites. Is this surprising to you? Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, do they? <clears throat> I thought everything was. That's real. not common knowledge. <laughs> oh, whoops. Really? Sorry. You're spilling an industry secret, right? Sorry, whoops. <laughs> do you guys know that? <laughs> yeah there's a guy with a little gun like hiding behind like, the boom, actor, got like... it hit her right on the spot um okay really that's fascinating <laughs> yeah the consist the consistency was probably what was most disturbing <laughs> in, which in that, is in that which video. means you did it well <laughs> um youtube actually flagged my video um, as inappropriate as inappropriate and i have i've i've protested to no avail i haven't heard anything back I, so is it down right now we can't well no no you you can you it. can still watch it it's just oh, age restricted so oh, you okay. have to be signed oh, into right. youtube to prove that you're over 18 right. hey let's promote the channel so did you get any <laughs> no, like what's the channel? <clears throat> oh, oh yeah. uh, my youtube channel is miss trouble jones miss trouble jones yes and your trouble jones on twitter um, Trouble Jones on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Did you? Did somebody give you that name, or you gave it to yourself? Oh, I gave it to my own self. Mm. Yeah. My Trouble Jones. Um, I feel like Trouble Jones is my alter ego, um, and Trouble Jones is kind of like me, but you know, without any conscience or like regret. Okay. <laughs> so do kind we? Kind of girl who gives a guy a jelly donut. <laughs> <laughs> I well, guess. I mean, not yet. But in we, theory. let's not cross it off the list. Okay. You know? Sure. So how long have you had this alter ego? Is it as long as you've been working <laughs> in the comedi- comedy writing space? Um, I probably I probably started using it when I lived in New York, but then I didn't I didn't really I didn't I didn't start to use it all the time until I started to get into Twitter and Instagram mm-hmm. and and then I, I, I was kind of like, oh, this is good. I can hide. But then everybody knows that I'm Trouble Jones, so I can't hide from anyone. So, but is that a real thing? Like, do you? Yeah, I was just. Gonna... Do you kind of get into this Trouble Jones mindset, and like, like is that a persona in your mind that you that you create from? Um. Or is it just a Twitter handle? It's not just a Twitter I mean, handle. <laughs> it's none of my business. No, I mean, I think that there's definitely moments in my life and activities from my life that have been, like, way more Trouble Jones than m- me, you know? Um, I used to drink really heavily. Um, and do, you, do you want a cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, the, the, and... and there's, I socially recreate, participate in some recreational drug use, um, but I haven't had like, a drink. Like steroids? <laughs> like, <you mean>? like <laughs> mushrooms. Um, I love mushrooms. No, not anymore. Oh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't like, I've been like clean for like 10 months. No, it's okay. I mean, I love <laughs> mushrooms too. I know. I actually want to do them maybe on my birthday. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't want to be locked in a car for hours again, so. Oh, no. No, it's bad. Is that what happened? I don't know. I just, hmm. I don't know. Tell us about that. Nah. 
Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website, and you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag-and-drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy, and next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out, and you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to wix.com, create your own website today. Send it to us and we will promote it online. All right. Okay. So writing, performing, which do you prefer? <laughs> Let's break this up. Um, uh, okay, we can move past the mushrooms if that's, if that's what you'd like to do. Um, so uh, what do I prefer, writing or performing? Um, or both? I would say, I mean, I only like to perform my own writing. So I think it's probably 50-50. Why is that? Because I think that's that's when I'm my best self. <laughs> okay. You talk a lot about sex. Do I? What's that about? <laughs> um, I mean... I think it goes back to like growing up very, 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 mm. you know, repressed, sheltered. repressed very sheltered, yeah. very conservative. Um, my uh, preacher's but, daughter kind of thing. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, not quite. My dad's Muslim, mm. um, but my mom is w w I grew up in a Baptist church in Indonesia. And I mean, like really like old school style Baptist. And I like wasn't allowed the only like there was a certain point in time where the only social activity I was allowed to do outside of school activities was like I could go to youth group and mm. like th that was it. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, and, and like my parents were just like, they they would just be like, you're a whore, you know, and like I'd be like, had never even like t been alone in a room with a boy, you know what I mean? They like were just terrified of the idea yeah, of like, it happening. Yeah, they'd be like, ah, you're a slut, you know. <laughs> I'd be like, really? <laughs> um, I'm like, guess what? No one wants to touch me. Um, so I think that it's like because I was so repressed and I was so on lockdown, like sure. I just, I was just so determined to completely explore uh, sexy time, that life, you know, <laughs> um, I've never been like a sex worker or anything. Not that I'm against sex workers. That's fine. Try um, it and come back on the show. Tell yeah. Us how it is. I mean, I went through a real phase where I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to moonlight as a dominatrix. Mm. Um, but then I didn't move forward with it because I was like, oh, my clientele, like, what will they be like? You know what I mean? <laughs> Is it going to be like just just some really repulsive creature and then it's like I have to urinate on him? Like, I mean, the act when I actually like thought about doing it, I was like, I don't, this is not. Like you made a list. Hot. What was the part that you thought you would enjoy? <laughs> Yeah, being this alter ego. Um, I don't know. I think I liked the outfits a lot. Mm. 
I, I mean, everyone likes a little light BDSM. Um, and uh, I, th I think I was like excited by, about the dominating part of it, but I just think the logistics of it, hmm. no. Are you very dominating in relationships? Like, are you the one saying, like, <laughs> we're doing this, we're going here? Um, I have been, but I would really like, I'd like to be with like a man who leads. Like, I'd love to be with a man who yeah. could like, whoopush me. Yeah. But a lot of relationships, like it's it's different in the relationship than yeah. in sex, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes people switch roles. Yeah. We don't, I don't do that. <laughs> what is, what's it like for you? No, I'm the dominant one in, in, our, in my, my marriage. Definitely. We have a good, like, we, you know, we, we understand the roles and we, everybody works for everybody. And you have like a traditional marriage. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You hesitated. No, I don't. I, We're learning a little bit more about Josh every episode. So. No, I mean, I never thought about like the, in those terms, but yeah, I mean, we, yeah, like, yes, traditional marriage. <laughs> so w wait, what do your parents think about your material do you show them did they come to your show oh my god no <laughs> so is it totally secret do they not have internet well my mom doesn't know how to use the internet uh, thank god <laughs> um and i think my dad is just kind of like too self-consumed to like google me <laughs> <laughs> so funny. you know i just i i'm not i'm not hiding anything mm -hmm. but i also don't i'm not i'm not like sending them videos Right. Of my of my material, they didn't see the male Kama Sutra, and if they did, it was not because I sent it to them. Are they the ones who flagged it on, <laughs> on YouTube? They like yeah. we work for YouTube. Now. Yeah. So um, wait, because we get a lot of letters from people who want to become dominatrixes. And do you yeah, really? You'd be surprised. No, come on. And they don't know how. So so how were you going to go about it? Well, there was a um, a club in New York okay. where dominatrix dominate try dominatrixes um i don't know what the plural is um, where they work so I was crazy just, people <laughs> whatever i was just gonna investigate i was gonna investigate that okay i mean i would think it's in not Los like on meetup or something i think it, i mean i think probably in this day and age it's really easy yeah, to figure easy. out yeah. like how to become a dominatrix and it's like i'm sure you could just start your own shop you know um like your own website and just start soliciting clients i don't think you need any kind of certification mm. um I, I don't know how safe that is. I wouldn't advise anyone. <laughs> you need to like do a that. lot of gear, though, right? You can't just like. It's probably really expensive. I'd be like, fuck. You can't this. just start beating someone with a stick. Or like, like damn, I can't. You need like contraptions. I don't. Know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think you need that many contraptions. Okay. Well, I you got to change it up. Yeah, I mean, I think that people are, are simpler than, than we anticipate. Well, but maybe, what do I know? I've never been a dominator. Maybe you should start like a web series on like how to become a dominatrix and you can charge for that is that a service i don't is know that you'd be interested in <laughs> no no I, I actually don't want to be a dominatrix that's not so really my thing all right <laughs> so a lot of your your a lot of your material is inspired by s sex and you know ex relationships <clears throat> do you feel like red flag is a turning point in those you know, there's uh, like, are you going to continue doing the same thing or are you shifting and maybe like, do you go now just have a relationship and then come back and do a new show? Like, are you going to do are you going to keep this uh, whole Trouble Jones thing going to fuel your material? Um, well, I definitely I don't I, I very 
there's very few times in life where um, I'll do things to just to get material to just to get material. Right. Sure. I mean, we all have our moments, you know. Give, but give us one. <laughs> Tell us one thing you did just to get material. Um. What, now I'm blanking. But anyways, those moments are few we'll and far between. <laughs> right. Um, I would say that red flag is a turning point for me because every because it's the most true to my voice. It's the most true to my point of view, and I think that. Um, the pro the problem I've had with my writing in the past is I've I've tempered it and I've taken too many people's notes and like it just causes the writing to fall on its face, you know. And also I think that red flags a turning point because everything I've done before the before this was sort of like quite lighthearted and I mm -hmm. and I went to like a far deeper place with this and I think I'm just gonna continue to go in that direction. Mm. So let's talk about that. You, you know, getting notes and and feedback and whatever. Um, you know, how do you know, how do you, how do you know what to listen to and what to ignore? And I mean, I think you just have to really follow your intuition. Um, because some notes are, can transform a piece of writing and make it so much better than what it was and are really necessary. And other notes, it's like, uh, mm. you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you're the writer, it's your voice, it's your story. You're, you have to listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. How long does it usually take to write your stories? Um, I guess it depends on the length of the story. Um, like a five or ten minute story, it, I could write in, you know, less than a week. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my solo show was like 90 minutes. That I probably worked on it for close to a year and a half. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good one. So, and how... How big is that for you? Like how, in, in your mind, sort of how successful was Red Flag and, and what does that do for the next phase of your career? Um, I mean, Red Flag was successful in that there was, that I just, I set this goal for myself and I did it. I, I never dreamed that I'd be able to, you know, write a show, get it produced, stand on stage for 90 minutes and actually capture an audience. Um, so in that way, it was a success for me. And also, I mean, there was quite a lot of interest in my writing um and whatnot from there I mean I made I made a lot of changes after after the show I like fired my managers like, I, I think it just it gave me a lot of more confidence in myself mm -hmm. um and in my writing and what I'm capable of and what I can accomplish um you know I mean it definitely I learned a lot I learned a lot about like what not to ever do again um and I'm hoping to do the show in New York and like, you know, do a complete rewrite on it and have like a whole new team of people work on it and just have it be really next level. Um, and I'm working on a couple of TV pilots now. Like one of them is sort of based on my character in Red Flag and then another one's based on my family. Um, so, nice. yeah, I mean, there's just it's just been a lot of like momentum that's built up, a lot of stimulus, mm. and it's kind of been a real engine for me. Yeah. So is that like a one... Is it a bunch of little small steps that you kind of like, <clears throat> are there moments where you notice like, oh, I'm here and I used to be there. Like, it, does, does that stand out at all? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I think that um, I can feel, I feel different now. I feel different than when I moved to Los Angeles a few years ago. And I, when I first moved here, it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't confident in my work. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't 
know what I was capable mm-hmm. of. And now it's like I know what I'm walking into a room with. Um, and I know what I want. I know I want people to meet me on my level. And it's like, you're either going to meet me on my level or you're not, you know, right. it's like buy, sell or get out of the way. Sure. <laughs> so can you think of when that happened? Like when, when the, does like a switch go I off? think it was really, it was after I did my show, after I did my show and like audiences started to come and I started to feel the, the response and like everything that the audience gave me and, you, you know, it, it, it was that it was it was the audience gave me the confidence mm-hmm. yeah was there stuff that you thought was like gonna kill and and it just i mean you know you talked about it's different night to night but like you know can you think of some material that you're just like this is gold and then it just doesn't <laughs> go i mean i think my point of view is really really specific and sometimes like people don't know what I'm talking about they have no idea it makes so much sense to me and there I mean the thing I guess that was even more surprising is there were things that there were moments that I didn't I would just skim over I didn't think that they Mm -hmm. were moments that had any meaning or weight or humor at all and like audiences would just love them so much so what's one of those well I mean now I can't think of any (laughs) (laughs) but they were there okay so New York you're you're taking red flag you're gonna change it a little bit now Doing the solo thing was was that like all you always knew it was going to be that type of show? Did you ever think about bringing in characters? I mean, I had I hadn't no. Um, really, like my inspiration was Mike Birbiglia. He's he's my I mean my all time favorite storyteller and comedian. So I just I would just listen to his albums and watch his live show on Netflix like over and over and over and over again. Mm. <laughs> What is it about his stuff that connects with you? Um, I think he's a master storyteller because he he starts off in this way that's like so, you know, kind of like unassuming and like casual. And it's like and he tells you this whole story and like and, and, and every bit of it is like interesting and draws you in. And there's moments of humor and there's moments of real humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's like and then it's like at the end, everything comes full circle. And it's like it just hits you mm-hmm. like a ton of bricks. And you're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like this thing that you're like, I'm having so much fun. I'm having so much fun. And then you're like, oh, I just really right. I, I just live through something with mm-hmm. you. Anybody else that comes to mind that's been a big influence on you? Um, I love Louis C.K. Yeah, he's awesome. I love Larry David. I, I liked Margaret Cho in the early days when she was doing, mm-hmm. like, Drunk with Power and I'm the one that I won and then Notorious C.H.O. Then she went in a direction that I can't speak to. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't um, know what she's doing now. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, those comedy albums were just... And also, she, too, had these moments that were just so revealing and so vulnerable mm-hmm. and so raw. Um, and seeing a woman do that, especially, like, an Asian woman, was just... That was very inspiring for right. me. Um, but, yeah, when I was little, my my first comedy influence was John Cleese. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an American club in Jakarta where I grew up and they had this video library and it was, it was all these videos on VHS <laughs> and you could rent videos from there. I mean, there was also like all these, you know, these little ghetto video places where it's like they, they, they like, have the, these Betamaxes and these VHSs of like right. all these, all bootleg. like all these bootleg, like Hollywood yeah. movies. 
Um, but I like the the American Club was like my jam because they also had like these Oreo milkshakes that they would make there, and you couldn't buy Oreos in Indonesia. They like got them at the U.S. commissary, so it's like. I was like, like, I'm going to get this at the bootleg place. Um, so they had the Faulty Tower series and I would rent them over and over and over and over and over again. And I um, I would I, my favorite episode was called The Kipper and the Corpse. And I transcribed it with a number two pencil. And then I convinced my teacher to let me go around to like other fifth grade classrooms and like reenact it. And like I played Basil Faulty. <laughs> oh God, that's so funny. Um, and it's so weird because it's like I when I started listening to Mark Maron's podcast, WTF, I realized that that is something that lots of comedians do as kids is they transcribe Hmm. (laughs) um, stand up and they transcribe like shows that they Mm. love. Like that was like a, that was like a really common practice. I had no idea. I never did that, but I used to memorize. Yeah. I used to sit and listen to Richard Pryor, uh, Eddie Murphy, you know, on vinyl. Oh, wow. Or Robin Williams, Steve Martin, and just like memorizing. I'd go to school the next day and I would tell these jokes. And I, you know, not as if they were my own, but I'd be like, oh, let yeah. me tell me t- Or Dr. Demento was a huge, you're probably too young. I don't know who that is. Um, it was this weird radio show, weekly Sunday evening radio show that was like weird. It was a mix of stand up comedy and like recorded, you know, like stuff off of comedy albums. Okay. Just weird comedy radio on like K Rock or something. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but I would sit and just memorize bits and like go to school the next day and do it. And how would they land? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was like eleven. They're fine. Where, where, <laughs> where, like, where were you living? In San Francisco. Oh, so I mean, kids are pretty progressive in San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it, it worked. Yeah. I didn't have like a big crowd. But it was just like, you know a couple of my buddies. Like, here's what I heard last night. So did you want to? Did you ever want to be anything else beside a writer, or comedian? Um, oh God, the list is so long. Really? Um, what were you doing before five years ago? Um, I was working in dominatrix. Well, no, that was just a pipe dream. <laughs> um, I was working in production, uh, and before that, I was doing acting. Um, and like, I also I went through this phase, this like very fervent phase, where I was like, I'm going to be a professional matchmaker. And nice. <laughs> I was obsessed with Patty Stanger. And like on Craigslist, I found this job like to work with Patty Stanger, the millionaire matchmaker. And I went and I'm and it was like it was like I went and I met and it was like, I guess a couple of people who were on the show at the time. I'm not really sure what's happening with the show now. <laughs> um, and I met them at like this coffee bean in Burbank. And what they wanted me to do is they wanted me to go to um, bars restaurants nightclubs grocery stores synagogues i don't know just all (laughs) over like southern california they were like don't limit yourself to la uh and they wanted me to approach strangers and go up to them and be like hi are you single you're right (laughs) and of course like and i and like like i started doing this now i was like this is you started you did it you actually i started i started doing it and i was like and i was like this is a Terrible idea. Why is it such a bad? Why this was it such a bad job? This is for the show or this for was, their yeah. matchmaking service. Well, they were. Um, they want to get like the rejects too. I mean, yeah. the thing is, is like they obviously use a casting agent right. for yeah. it. So why why they had like me? But it wasn't to go drum up business for the matchmaking service. No, it was, it was like, like to like, get to get, to get yeah. guys right. on the show, which was yeah. like very bizarre. And it was like, th- and I was in the West Hollywood area a lot, and there was probably three guys I went up to who were like. 
the casting director for Millionaire Matchmaker already contacted me. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do the show. We're crossing each other's territories. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's so why wait, they say why, get out of LA. No, no, right. So wait, why was it? Why was it so bad? Well, it was just bad because like people would be like, uh, you know, are you a prostitute? Like, what is this service you're soliciting? Like, <laughs> you want? You're trying to get me on a reality show? Like, I'm not going to do really it. <laughs> you know? But like, what's your deal? Like, what are you doing tonight? Yeah. You know? And it's just, it's a bad, it's a bad position. How long is, that, last? is that how you met the hair bun guy? <laughs> no. No. That would have been cool. Dare we say his name? <laughs> yeah, what's um, his name? No. What's his now, uh, now, Twitter now. handle? What's his Twitter handle? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. That Did he come to Twitter. the show? Uh, I don't believe so. You know, not that you know of. Not you that I know. You of. didn't look out and see him. I didn't look out and see him. But you know what's really crazy? I had not seen him um, since this moment where that I describe in the show. That's really dramatic. Where we like, you know, we like are just yelling at each other on like Black Ryan Sweetser for like hours. Um, and I had ne- and then that was two years ago, and I hadn't seen him, and then. The day of my first show, the day that like my show opened, I was and I moved recently to an anonymous location. <laughs> um, and my my park my parking space is off of like an alley, and I live in kind of like an uh, it's just kind of like a a, a random area with not a lot of foot traffic. Um, and I pull out, and he's standing on my street corner. Oh wow. That yeah. is so freaky. And it was it was it was it was really bizarre and I and I and I was like, oh like my my body had a response to yeah, it. I was course. like, that's him. You know, like I saw his back was turned to me, I just saw the man bun, you know? But I knew. And then it's like he turned and there was this moment where he kind of like looked in the car and then he like turned away and of course he was like with some girl who kind of looked like me. <laughs> um and I had this moment because I was like, I was like, what do I do like what's the protocol like nobody prepares you for these moments i'm like should i stop the car like should i say hello like should i give him a flyer for my show (laughs) should i hit him with my car like what do i do and like i couldn't figure out what to do so i just kept driving thank god the light was green um that's crazy but that was that was really strange um what do you do before your shows how do you get ready um I would try to like have like a calming, grounding moment. Definitely pray a lot, like really hard. Um, and is it Muslim prayer or Baptist prayer? <laughs> or do you just cover is both? Is it both? You do. Um, probably a Christian prayer. You know. Okay. Uh, not Baptist though. Not. I do, mean, do you not speaking tongues before the show. No, 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 no. Not not this time. Okay. Maybe next time. All right. Uh yeah, I mean I pace a lot. There's a lot of pacing. Yeah, sure. just going through the lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you do you practice at home like saying the lines out loud over and over and over and over again? Um, I, I when I was memorizing it, yes, mm. for sure I did. Yo, I hope you're enjoying this interview with Melanie Maras. We got some other great comedians we've had on the show. If you look back in our iTunes or our SoundCloud page. Check out the one with my guest, Kira Sultanovich. She is another hilarious comedian, and uh, we, we mix it up a little bit on that one. You might like it as well. Now back to Melanie Maras. All right, I want to go back to the hair bun. Because, <laughs> well, you know, the show's red flags, right? So, because I feel like, I mean, I've never dated a man. Yeah. But I I feel like if I were that, you know, the hair bun would be a deal breaker for me. Would it? I mean, it's so popular now, the man bun. Yeah, but his was like, his would have been like the one where you, 
yeah. on it and it like I don't know over. I, can't, I can't imagine no it's really popular right now it's really it popular it has like it's own hashtag yeah and it's like and it's like guys who like are like off. rocking a man bun with like sideburns and like a beard oh, it's like getting that's crazy that's what like especially in Venice I think sideburns would probably be a deal breaker for me too I don't but know I'm not here's I, the thing I, don't mind I think anything this. with a hashtag would be a deal breaker for me <laughs> well then it's too cool and then you gotta shave it you know I don't know then it gets like that because then if you do have so a what's a deal breaker now now that we've learned yeah, these lessons okay what are the deal breakers okay if a guy, you meet a guy, we've talked about this one, mm-hmm. and he texts you, and there's an emoji in the text. Does that does that kill the deal? No, or that's still okay. I like emojis. You do. Yeah, I like a man who uses emojis. I I don't mind it, but he's like smiley face. Oh, no guy puts a smiley face. I'm like, like that's... no real man uses a smiley yeah, face. Is not... that what you mean? Yeah. You'd say you like a sort it's of a take charge in man. This, in, I, I, in my generation. in my view, like a take charge man does not. Do you ever use emojis? Use emojis never. never. Oh, never. No. And have you ever attempted to even have no. the, have it on your keyboard? Like you can't delete them. No, but when you're texting Josh, you probably think chances you are you think he doesn't like you, so you probably should. That's not true. I Why just, is it? Well, first of all, I, I'm not. He'll I, say that's funny. I limit myself. Ha ha. He'll say that's funny. Period. I limit myself to one exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. Also Not like he's a writer. Eleven. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a fan of like whole row yeah, whole of row. exclamation marks. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what's the deal? So breaker? that's not oh, a deal okay. breaker. Emojis. That's fine. Um. Okay. Deal breakers. Now I would say. Okay. If the guy's got a drinking problem, that's a deal well, breaker. Okay. That's no fun. <laughs> Believe it or not, not, that's not a lot of people don't. They don't. Yeah. They don't say no. this is all. This is all. all right. uh, this is. This is new things. These are new for me. Okay. Um. He's got a drug problem. If he does any kind of drugs, including marijuana, every day. Yeah. That's a deal breaker. That's a good one. Um. How, so where's the line there? <laughs> like every other day, that's too much. I'm, if, if it's multiple times a week, like okay. it's too much. Once a mm. week. Uh. <laughs> Once a week's all right. You're really, you're really, you're really no, threading curious. the line. No, you're really threading the line they, with the know, once a week drug use. Works. Okay. Um, if you are a narcissist, that's a deal breaker. If you're condescending, if you talk down to me, that's yeah. a deal breaker. If you don't fucking get your wallet out and pay, that's a deal breaker. So okay, so drug abuse. Yeah, or, drug abuse. Uh, cheapskateism. Yeah, if you if you're broke. Yeah. That's a deal breaker. Sure. Yeah, forget about it. If you're broke, I'm not dealing with it. I no. dated a skater boy who was semi model, and dude, it was <laughs> semi model. You know, he was on one mo- he was on one commercial, running on a bike or, so- or like getting on a bike, and yeah, he thought count. he was like, oh my god, that's so good. I couldn't do it. Mm. Yeah, if you if you are unemployed, mm-hmm. that's a deal breaker. Uh, if you're a, if you're a man whore, that's a deal breaker. Um, if you, if you're like bullshit with communicating, like you, you just send like text messages aimlessly, like not trying to meet up or it's like, it takes you multiple weeks to Mm. ask me out and you're texting me all the time. No. If you're married, that's a deal breaker. If you're engaged, (laughs) that's a deal breaker. Um, Uh, really high standards. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Okay. And uh, what else? See, I'm thinking like if you know if a guy orders like a Cosmo or something, like he's out. Uh, well, well, what that's drink? More of a red flag. What, what drink? That's, more, that's of more, more of a red flag. So what drinks? Like you're on a date, first date. Yeah. It's going pretty well. Like the you know the first few minutes, whatever, right? Like it feels okay. And then you know you get to the bar. What drink could a guy order 
that then sends that date in a different trajectory. That's a good oh. one. That's a good one. Yeah. Anything. I mean, now it's like specialty cocktails are such yeah, it's such, such a, a thing. thing. Yeah. You know, mixology and all sure. that. So you can't like knock a guy for ordering a specialty cocktail. It's not like the old days where it's like, you know, can I get a sax on the beach or like, <laughs> yeah. can I get a French martini or right. like first of all no you can't just leave um, apple martini yeah apple right. martini kill yourself no why are you alive um but those days are that's sort of like a dated that's a dated model unless you go to maybe a dive bar i feel like mixology kind of came in to save those guys right yeah it's like we're gonna, we're gonna give God. you no seriously yeah you're sweet I mean, yeah, it's like if a guy's ordering like a, I mean, who does this anymore? This used to be my signature drink, but like a Long Island iced tea. Yeah. You know, which has- My wife orders Long Island Does she? Tea. Sure. Wow. Yeah. She's the best. She also drinks Fireball. <laughs> she, yeah, she loves, she loves Fireball. No, she's great. Um, she could drink whatever she wants. Yeah, she can drink whatever she wants. Wait, so I'll date what's, your wife. What's the, best, what's the best advice you've ever been given for dating? Um, the best advice I've ever been given for dating is, um, stay to your kind. <laughs> um, I guess is to be open to the moment, Yeah, you know, and to one. like forget everything you knew before. Mm, that's a good one. Um, and, and, and something that I have to be reminded of all the time is that when you're dating someone, you have to remember that like you don't know them. Yeah. They're a stranger. Like you can and you can project sure. all kinds of things on them and you can, you know, have sex with them and like think that, you know, whatever you want to think. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? And and it's like the, it's a stranger. Mm. Like you don't know him or her. That's that's something I have to remember all the time. What about work? What about work? Yeah. Best advice you've ever been given. About work? Yeah. Oh, I mean, the best advice I've ever been given about work is to is to have a um, a shell like an armadillo and an inside like a marshmallow, which means that you don't let anyone's negativity or rejection or jealousy or whatever affect you, but to still keep your your vulnerability and like mm. your truth. Mm. Have you had mentors? Yes. People help you along the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I've been really lucky. I've had some awesome mentors. Um, Stephen Adley Girgis is my writing mentor, and he just won a Pulitzer for his play Between Riverside and Crazy, um, which was at the Atlantic Theater in New York. And he's the creator and executive producer of a new show that's coming to Netflix. It's called The Get Down, and it's about uh, the Boogie Down Bronx and the birth of hip hop. And Baz Luhrmann's directing the pilot. Nice. Um, and Stephen directed my first play in New York, which was called Kiss Me on the Mouth, which was just life changing for me, mm. um, for him to champion me and get behind me and endorse me and, you know, direct my work was truly phenomenal. How'd you meet him? I met him. I went to a drama school in New York called the Maggie Flanagan Studio, and Stephen had been a student of Maggie's, and he came in at the end of our two-year program, and he taught this playwriting for actors workshop, and that's how we met. Mm. He was nice. my teacher. <laughs> um, are nice. any plans to go back to New York? Yeah, I'm going to go back to New York at the end of the summer. I'm producing my friend Bixby Elliott, the one who taught me taught me how to make fake jazz. <laughs> um, he has written a beautiful play called Summer Fool, and it's about the first gender reassignment surgery. Mm. Um, and it's an incredible story um, about 
the man who transitioned to become a woman and his wife and how his wife stayed with him. And it's really mm. about a really beautiful love story. Um, and it's one of the most incredible pieces of theater I've ever read. So I'm going to go back to produce that. So I'm super excited about that. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Do you have like a goal that you're working towards or, or um, you know, how, how will you know when you've accomplished what you set out? <laughs> um how will i know um when when i'm like touching people on a global scale um and I, i'm i'm able to translate my work across like various mediums and people who i've never met before not like friends of friends but like real true strangers are able to access my work and for it to have an effect on them like that's when i'll feel that i've really accomplished something is there someone, uh, if you could trade places, not in life, but but your, a career? Is there someone whose career you'd like to have? Oh, whose career would I like to emulate? Mm -hmm. Chelsea Handler, Tina Fey, Louis C.K., Larry David, Mike Birbiglia. You can do a Chelsea Handler for sure. I mean, I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working on it. You know, half Asian, less drunk. Yeah, she's funny. Right. I saw her um, live with Gwyneth Paltrow, LA Live Talks. How was that? It was good. Gwyneth Paltrow, I mean, she's cool, but she was a terrible interviewer. Uh-oh. Yeah. She's just kind of boring. Oh. But um, you, I guess Chelsea got to pick who interviewed her and their friends, and they've done a ton of things together, social and, you know, personal. So, But anyway, she was great. I love Chelsea Handler live. She was great. Great storyteller. Awesome. Nice. Well, maybe you could find her around town and bump her off, and then you can take her place. <laughs> That's a great career plan. Yeah. Thank you. That'll that'll then that'll you make a show about it. Yeah. That'll be my new like best piece of advice I've gotten about work. <laughs> <laughs> I see her at Santa Monica Stairs sometimes, so maybe you can like ambush. You her do? Her. That's good. Do you really? I'm surprised. Uh, she... Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. I, I I have seen her there. Mm. I don't go anymore, but to the stairs. Not because of running into Chelsea. It's just I moved, so it's oh. convenient. It's not convenient anymore. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. It's not like there's a restraining order right. or anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this with us. Thanks for having it's me. It's been fun learning about you. <laughs> um, come back when you, know, you have your next thing and let's talk about it. Yeah, I would love that. Awesome. Cool. Yay. Cool. Okay, that was our episode with Melanie Maras. I hope it made you laugh. I know it made me laugh. Hey, that was um, Cassie, my sometimes co-host. If you liked her, leave us a comment and we'll see if we can bring her back for another one. She's, uh, she's kind of on a hiatus right now, but you never know. See what happens. Hit us on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Find us on Facebook and make sure you check out our new YouTube page for our growing catalog of Rebel Radio videos. Radio videos. That's what's up. Come back next week. My guest will be the one and only Shira Lazar with great stories from the world of YouTube. I'll talk to you then. <laughs>